to the weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. The following message was recorded live from our sanctuary. Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. See my bleeding Let's turn now to 2 Timothy chapter 3. If you want to use the Bible that's in the pew or chair, It's on page 996, 996. We'll begin reading with verse 14 and read to the end of that chapter, 14 through 17. Thought it would be good as we uh, enter the new year for us to remind ourselves some basic things about God's Word itself as Paul is setting this before Timothy. But as for you, verse 14, as for you, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. May the Lord bless the reading and proclamation of his word. We're going to break this down pretty simply into three uh, points. Isn't that original? Um, <laughs> the, first, the first is uh, the uh, theme of Scripture, which we'll see is Christ himself. That's given to us there in verse 15. And interestingly, that's talking about the Old Testament at that point. So the theme of Scripture and then the author of Scripture, all Scripture is God-breathed, breathed out by God. And then finally, the purpose of Scripture, or you could say the practical benefits of Scripture, but the purpose of Scripture that it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, that the man of God may be competent, equipped. So, first of all, this theme of Scripture, it's interesting in Proverbs where we read the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Paul connects wisdom here with salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The sacred writings, the Old Testament, which is able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. So, he's saying that this is the essence of the Old Testament And it's the whole point of the Old Testament. We're reminded of Luke 24, after the resurrection, Christ, it says in verse 45, opened their minds to understand the scriptures, Old Testament, of course, and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. So he opened the Old Testament to show them that he, the, the Messiah would suffer and rise from the dead. In Luke 24, also earlier, as he's walking on the road to Damascus, 
It says in that verse, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So he took them to the Old Testament and he opened up the scriptures to show that it was about him. Now there are at least six passages in Acts as they proclaim the gospel. They keep referring to the Old as the scriptures say, as the prophets say, as Moses says, as it was written. So as they proclaim the gospel, they keep rooting it in the Old Testament. And interestingly, Luke, who wrote both Luke and Acts, the biggest section of the Bible, by the way, is Luke-Acts. At the end of Acts, he has Paul doing the same thing that he had Jesus doing at the end of Luke. Okay, So there's a theme running here. So where Jesus, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them the things about himself. It says in Acts 28, as Paul is in a prison situation, not a heavy prison, but he is in a prison situation in Rome. They came to him as his lodging in greater numbers from morning to evening. He expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and the prophets. There he is, taking him to Moses, taking him to the prophets to convince them who Jesus is, that he is the Messiah. Now, will you turn with me, if you have your own Bible, John chapter 5. If you're using the Pew Bible, page 890. And please turn it. It helps to look at it. This wonderful section in which Christ demonstrates how much he is the theme of even the Old Testament. And in all of this, of course, you think, wow, if he's the theme of the Old Testament, of course he's the theme of the New Testament. That's without question, because from beginning to end, his name is, is, is what is proclaimed. It's not as apparent, perhaps, in a first reading of the Old Testament. But here's Jesus talking to the Jews, beginning with verse 38. Notice, you do not have his word abiding in you. That would be understood as the Old Testament word. You do not have his word abiding in you. You have no relationship to that word, no real embracing of that word. Its life is not in you. Why? For you do not believe the one whom he has sent. That is me. Absolute proof that you have rejected the word of God because you've rejected me. Okay? Then he says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. <laughs> Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. You see, in them you have, you think in them you have eternal life, but they bear witness about me that I'm the source of that life and you refuse to come to me. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. See, you do not love God. You do not love his word. And then notice in verse 45, do not think that I will accuse you to the father. There's one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you set your hope. If you believed Moses, you would believe me for he wrote of me. Pretty, pretty plain, isn't it? And notice he says, when, when you are accused in the day of judgment, I'm not even talking about my word. I'm saying Moses, Moses will accuse you that you didn't believe in me. That's how much Moses is about me. 
That's how much the Old Testament has as its heart and soul, Jesus Christ. And it's interesting in the book of Hebrews when the writer is addressing Jews who are in danger of turning away from Christ because of the persecution of the Jews. He just expounds about the person of Christ throughout this this wonderful book of Hebrews. And for instance, he quotes from Psalm 2, Psalm 8, Psalm 22, Psalm 40, Psalm 45, Psalm 102, Psalm 110. And some of these talk about Christ. Some of them are uh, spoken to Christ, actual portions of the Psalms that are speaking to Christ. And in other others are, sp- are spoken by Christ, where he has Christ being the one who actually said it. All about Christ. And so the Old Testament properly understood points to Christ. And the implication is without the knowledge of Christ, we will have no true understanding of the Old Testament whatsoever because it specifically points us, as he says here, it makes you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. And J.N.D. Kelly says simply, the key to Scripture is Christ. It can say nothing to men until they've accepted Him as Savior and Lord. In other words, it has nothing to say except what it says ultimately about Christ. And so, if Christ is rejected, the Scriptures are rejected. And God Himself is rejected, as Jesus indicated, speaking to the Jews there. And so, if the Bible is not about Christ, you know, Wimbledon's not about tennis. The Rose Bowl's not about football, you know. The whole point The whole reason there is revelation is Jesus Christ. The whole reason Genesis 1 is there all the way through is Jesus Christ. It's the whole point of history. It's the whole point of this world is Jesus Christ. So I urge you, as Paul here now unveils and and talks about this theme, that from childhood, uh, Timothy has known through... Likely his talking about his mother, uh, Eunice, and his grandmother, Lois, mentions in the first part of this, this letter. Seek Christ. If you're a believer in Christ, you cannot ignore the scriptures that contain this gold of Jesus Christ. If you claim to be a person who loves and trusts in Christ, how can you ignore his word in your daily life? Right? Because that's where he is to be found. Can you imagine inheriting a few uh, thousand acres of wilderness territory in uh, California? And you go and you're going to camp on it for a week and explore, look around. And you find this cave and you spend a couple of days, you get some equipment, look around. And you find a vein of gold. I mean an incredible vein of gold in that cave. All you have to do is mine it. That's all you have to do is mine it. But you don't because it's just too much trouble to work in that cramped, dark cave and one of those lights on my head. No, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to stoop to using a pickaxe. I don't know anything about machinery. I don't know what to do with the gold once I mine it. I'm sure not paying for anybody else to do it. No telling how much that would cost. Use however many excuses. 
And so all you do is use the cave to give you shelter from the elements when you camp. And those tens of millions of dollars worth of gold are sitting there even after you lose your job, even after you go bankrupt, even after you become homeless. And so I urge you as one who names the name of Christ, are you going to live and die and not become a student of God's word to seek out the gold of Jesus Christ that is everywhere to be found? Again, I mentioned that children's book that we have back there that starts off by saying, every story whispers his name. What a beautiful way to put it. Every story whispers his name. The greatest treasure that this earth has to offer, it's yours for the taking. Will you turn up your nose at this treasure that God has specifically made available to you? I mean, you here, as opposed to billions of people that don't have access to it. He has given it to you. What an act of grace that it's even there for the taking. I urge you, don't ignore it. You know, I, I think I've mentioned this before, but I actually got used to this paper mill smell in Monroe, Louisiana when I lived there for seven or eight years. And I would have friends eat lunch with me. And then when the wind was right, coming from West Monroe, we lived on the river, just uh, uh, east of the river. But when the wind was right, we'd come out of lunch after the visitors would eat lunch with us. We'd walk outside and they would just about fall down, you know. I say, what in the world is that smell? I didn't smell it because I was used to it, you know, used to the stench. (laughs) And of course, somebody that caught the wind just right, if they were visiting there, thinking about moving there, they would never move there. Now, interestingly, there's this fragrance. Uh, Paul calls it in 2 Corinthians 2 that in his preaching, in, in the word, is a fragrance of Jesus Christ, an aroma of Christ, he calls it. It's an intoxicating, glorious fragrance and aroma that comes from Scripture, and it's Christ. It's sweet and fresh and clean and bold and life-giving. And have you caught that fragrance and decided you're just not going to live there? You smell that glorious But you will not live there and you're going to stay away from that fragrance. You know, maybe maybe you and I could get used to the fragrance. (laughs) If we could get used to the paper mill, maybe we could actually learn to desire it and love it and be nurtured and transformed by it. Well, that's the theme of Scripture, the Lord Jesus Christ. The origin of Scripture... One of the most famous statements in Scripture about itself is found in verse 16. All Scripture is breathed out. Some translations have, is inspired by God, but as you've heard before, the word really would be better translated, expired by God. Not so much what he puts in, but it has come from him. It speaks to the origin of it, as though it came straight out of his mouth. You see, breathed out by God. And at this point... It's possible that Paul is not only referring to the Old Testament, but to those things that are coming forth from in, in the New Testament era. Uh, for instance, in the first letter to Timothy in chapter 5, verse 18, he quotes as Scripture Deuteronomy 25 and Luke 10, 7. Luke's 
probably is in existence as a gospel. And it's interesting that he says the scripture says, and he quotes the Old Testament, and he quotes Luke. Or you get what Peter says in the last chapter of Second Peter 3, that he talks about how Paul is hard to understand, and many people pervert Paul like they do the other scripture. And so he refers to Paul as scripture. And of course, Paul himself many times talks about how what he is saying, he, he says, has come from God, is the word of the Lord. It must be obeyed. Uh, but we don't have time to get into that. Um, he, he says in First Thessalonians, you received what we spoke to you as what it really is, the very word of God. So, at least in our understanding, this would embrace not only the Old Testament, but all of the New as well, uh, from our perspective. But it's probably that Paul is, is bleeding into that already. All that has been given uh, before Christ, and that is pouring forth even now, both spoken and written. He even said that in Second Thessalonians, Hold firm to the traditions we taught you, whether by word or by letter. All of this is the word and it is the tradition. It, it has the same par as the Old Testament. But so this is the point because it has come from God. It has supreme value for each human being. This, this word is an oil strike of an ending wealth. It's like finding a natural gas reserve that will fuel the world for century upon century. It is, it is from God himself. And we must treat it as something most precious that gives abounding wealth in our lives. It has come from God. He planned it. He handpicked the men to write it. He created every circumstance of its writing, every motivation for its writing, even the personalities and abilities and the feelings of the writers themselves, so that as William Hendrickson wrote, the word is all that God wanted it to be. What an incredible gift. It has come from God himself and it is addressed to you in a personal way. The very fact that you have access to it, brothers and sisters, friends, is God's grace and love to you, that he has spoken to you. We've played uh, many times uh, over this, the holidays a game called Apples to Apples. Anybody here play Apples to Apples? A few? Okay. You know what I'm talking about. All right. So what, what happens is you're, you're given... Uh, the, the, one person who is the, uh, the, the, who's it, you might say, draws a green card and it might have something like this, smelly or relaxing or scary or uplifting or shining. These are actual ones. Boring, lovable, dreamy, global, graceful, mischievous, manly. Okay. So that's an adjective. Then everyone else has Seven cards that are nouns. Here's a typical seven cards you might have. And what the point is, they read, say, relaxing, and you pick which one of yours goes best with that. So, say the word relaxing comes up. I have these seven cards. Charging rhinos. Mm. Six-pack. Yeah. John Philip Sousa. The South. Batman. The first day of school. Uh. Milk duds. Okay, <laughs> maybe the South. Okay, and I throw the South down, and everybody else throws theirs. It's a great, great game. Well, one of the th words that came up was 
priceless. And we played that. And I think somebody had a, you know, um, well, different things. I won't go into that. Priceless. And I thought, boy, there's where you have the card in your hand, the Bible. You know, priceless. How can you put a price on something that has come from God himself to us? Unending value, unlimited value. And so the man of God, as he's described in verse uh, 16, the man, uh, verse 17, the man of God, he is before all else the man of the Bible, the man of the word. Then finally, here, so we have the theme is Christ, the author is God, and then the goal, or we might say the practical benefit of, of Scripture. He says here, it is for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Now, this is, this is really divided, these four things, into two sections, more or less. The first, teaching and reproof, has to do with doctrine. And the second two, correction and training, has to do with your life. So, teaching and living. And it's in a kind of chiasm in its arrangement so that you have the positive and negative, positive teaching, negative teaching, then negative living, positive living. So positive, negative, negative ends on the positive. So the first are then about uh, teaching, right thinking, right understanding, right knowledge, um, but not just bare knowledge, Right believing and right trusting and right embracing and dependence and emotion in terms of that. So it's, it's correct teaching, but then correcting, uh, but then reproving and refuting error. If you turn the page, you can see that the elder or pastor, <clears throat> verse 9 of Titus 1, must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he, one, may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. You see the same thing there. To teach the truth and refute error. Now, a lot of times it's not popular to refute error. It's not popular to state specifically things that are going on in our uh, Christianity or so-called Christianity that are not correct. But there is warning after warning after warning in Scripture to guard the flock from error, guard the flock from doctrinal uh, impurities. And so here he says the word is, is, is so profitable for this, so valuable for teaching. So that Scripture gives us new lenses, new windows, a new vista to view God, to view life and reality, to view the meaning and goal of history, to view relationships, to view marriage and family, to view our own hearts, to view all that has happened to us, all that's hurt us, all the hurt we've brought to others, to view our sin, to view everything in the light of God's Word. To view everything in the light of the wisdom that leads us to salvation. That is to rescue and deliverance and renovation and transformation through faith in Christ. I love the way Paul puts it in Romans 15.4. Whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, teaching. Same thing, that through endurance and through the encouragement of scriptures we might have hope. 
So, thinking and then living, the second half, to correct our life and to train us in righteous living. To correct our living and to restore us, to put us on the right path, and then to train us in that path, to discipline us in that path. It's like a child training in gymnastics. There's a constant, tra- a constant correction, isn't there? No, no, don't lean that way. Lean toward the middle. No, have your legs this way. Hold your arms that way. No, your head has to do that. Constant correcting. And then once they get it right, to train them so that they do it over and over and it becomes a part of them. He says, that's what God's Word will do for you. It changes the way you think about everything, and it changes the way you live by correcting you and training you. I remember those girls, when my daughter, late in her life, was taking gymnastics at about 10 or 11 years old, and she was with this little group of girls that were taking it for the first day, and then the girls that had been taking it since they were 6 years old walked through And there was a total different look. Shoulders looked about this much wider than these curls. Their legs were strong. Everything about their whole bodies had been conformed to a new uh, condition because of that correction and training. And I remember my own uh, niece, Catherine, was a swimmer in high school, training every morning and every evening. And when I'd come up to hug her, you know, to the side, it's like I couldn't reach around her shoulders because she was so strong, so uh, incredible in the way she had been built up. You think of Navy SEALs going through 30 months of training, the first year's formal training uh, in school, and then... What I've read is they do three more six-month periods in the field of training. You think of all the correcting and training, correcting and training, and what they are able to do in every circumstance, in every condition, in every environment. And that's what Paul is saying here, so that we will be competent, adapted to our task to live in every circumstance as believers. So that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work, you see. So that our thinking is right and our living is being conformed so that in all the various circumstances of our lives, we can live out the righteousness of God. Which, in, as he calls it, good works, it means living out the love of God. Living out being good to other people and doing good to other people. It forms us. His Word forms us into something good. It builds goodness into our life. It creates the motivation and energy to do good to others. Every kind of goodness in every kind of circumstance. Goodness that's manifested across the boards. That's what His Word does. Towner writes, the other-oriented description of Christian living is linked inseparably here with nourishment from the Scriptures. So, this word, its purpose, its practical benefit. Think of the practical benefit that electricity brought to our world. We can't imagine it, can we? Any vehicle, anything that we do almost, it has to do with electricity. You know, there's a time when people made fun of cars, right? Thinking they would never replace the good old horse and buggy. There was a time when men couldn't imagine the usefulness of a computer. 
Ken Olson, president, chairman, and founder of Digital Equipment Corporation. I looked this up and made sure it was a right quote. There's no reason anyone would want a computer in their home. People think about the scripture this way, I'm afraid. Why else would we ignore it like we do? We really do view it as a waste of time. It's not even worth our time. The TV's more valuable than God's Word. Novels are more valuable. Video games are more valuable. If your time is viewed as an investment in which you expect a good return, some of us would have to say, the Bible's a bad investment. It's just a bad investment. If you made a list of investments with your really free time, your truly disposable time, the Bible may come in last place. It may not even make the list. Have you considered the theme of Jesus Christ, the goal to be mine? Have you considered the one who has authored this, God himself? Have you considered the life-transforming power of this word in the way you think, in the way you live, and what you will be as this word gets its hands on you? Let's be like Zacchaeus. Climbed in the tree. Short little guy, couldn't see. He climbed in the tree. He got in the way. Of Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, this new year, get in the way of Christ. Get in the way of His grace. Let Jesus Christ lay His hands upon you through this precious, precious Word. Let us pray. Oh Lord, bless us. Equip us with Your Word. Draw us after Yourself, oh God. Thank you that we can find the Lord Jesus Christ whispered in many places. Announced boldly, beautifully, wonderfully, fully in other places, but always it leads us to Him. Oh Lord, give us a hunger and thirst. We confess our sin. We confess our idolatries. We confess our worldliness. We confess our laziness. We confess our heartlessness. We confess, Lord, our, our lovelessness. What, what could we say? What, what excuse is there for me, for us, for any of us, Lord, that we would ignore this treasure that opens up so much of life to us, all of life to us? It opens the whole way of salvation to us. It, it opens a whole relationship with you and with one another. Bless us, Lord. Not that we will be enslaved in a sense of burdened and weighed down by guilt. But Lord, give us a passion. Give us a joy. Give us the freedom, happiness of longing for that which is good and seeking it out. Oh, give us, give us this, Lord. You said you would put your word in our hearts in the new covenant. And surely that must mean that we will hunger and thirst after Christ in it. Give us that heart. We thank you because this is a part of your salvation, rescuing us for your word. We ask it in the name of Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times, directions to the church, and to subscribe to this podcast. Our web address is fortworthpca.org. 
Fort Worth Presbyterian is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America. Jesus, my Lord, my life, my light, oh, come with blissful rain, break radiant through the shades of night, and chase my fears away. Won't you chase my fears away?